Uh, my talk is, um, and sharing is going to be on um, sustained by the gladness of the wholesome. <clears throat> this is a, um, a phrase that uh, the Buddha uses in his uh, The Four Wise Efforts, uh, which perhaps some of you are familiar with. Two of them are guarding against unwholesome states and overcoming them when they're here and developing wholesome states and maintaining and increasing our, uh, those wholesome states when they're here. And he says the, the way to maintain it is to, is to feel the gladness, or one way anyway, in one discourse, feel the gladness of the wholesome when uh, it has arisen. Don't miss, basically, the good. That is a secret to deepening uh, your uh, inspiration and your creating uh, all the conditions for, for deeper awakening. And that's true uh, whether you're on the cushion or whether you are expressing your caring for the planet and uh, in one way or another uh, are wanting to be engaged in our bigger situation. And as I'm sure we can all attest, it's, it's so easy to get discouraged or feel despair or say, you know, well, what's the point, or what can I do, or, you know, what difference would anything I do make now? Uh, anybody have those thoughts? <laughs> uh, the, that's often the first response and the thing that blocks people from becoming engaged. But there's something that brought you here, whether you're already fully engaged or saying, yeah, well, what should I do? I don't know, but let me just see what these guys are into. Um, you need to be inspired to stay engaged. And uh, the Buddha uh, talked about opening up to suffering. He said he teaches about suffering and the end of suffering. But as we all uh, know, if you've done any practice, he talked about suffering being a source of awakening. Suffering is what wakes us up. And in one very, uh, very wonderful teaching, he talks about how suffering can lead to faith and can lead to joy and, and happiness and contentment and peace in the highest states of awakening. This is the teaching on transcendental dependent arising. It's suffering leads us to look for answers and to make a change. How many people have been motivated by suffering in their own life to get involved and deepen their Dharma practice? Okay, so we know this is how it works. Well, guess what? We've got suffering on a mass scale that we've never had before. What an opportunity this is. It's going to it is waking up the planet. As uh, Andrew Harvey, uh, I love this phrase that he uses, you know, the, the, uh, the journey of the dark night of the, uh, of the soul that people go through up there as they're practicing. Well, this is what he calls the dark night of the species, where rather than saying, oh, 
all is doom and gloom and there's no point. This is waking us up and shaking us out of our complacency, out of an unsustainable way of human beings living on this planet to see, oh, this isn't going to work. So if you take a bigger picture, it's a kind of wake-up call in an opportunity that has never been here before. Um, now, we will find what we look for, and if we're just looking for how everything is going down the tubes, uh, it, it can get very despairing. But actually, this is a perfect timing for this, for this gathering, as perhaps you've seen. There's a lot of good news lately. So I want to just highlight first, as we're going through, uh, through this day, the good news, you know, the good news about climate change. Okay? Just in the last few weeks, as I'm sure everyone knows, Pope Francis giving two powerful speeches to, the, to Congress and to the UN about the responsibility that we have to care wisely for this amazing planet that we live on. <clears throat> that is a big thing. 1.2 billion Catholics, but he's not just speaking for the Catholic, he's speaking as a world citizen. And it had its impact. The same week, President Obama and uh, the Chinese President Xi, Jinping, uh, Xi, Xi Jinping uh, met to discuss substantive, substantive plans around climate change, and China deepens it, deepened its commitments to a cap-and-trade carbon plan that would not pass right now in the U.S. Congress. Uh, and this is in anticipation of the Paris peace talks. Pretty cool. The two major leaders of the two superpowers meeting to get the two strongest countries on this planet meeting to say, we've got to do something. The same week that the Pope is speaking to the UN and Congress. But that's not all. You probably are aware that Shell announced it would give up its Arctic drilling plans and was hailed by Greenpeace as a victory. Of course, they said, yeah, well, we couldn't find anything there. so." <laughs> So uh, it was $7 billion, you know, but what the heck. But it was also, as many people feel, it was, a, uh, it was tarnishing their image as well. So uh, it seemed like there was some influence of, um, uh, of all the work that we're all doing. Um, Monday, last Monday, six of the largest financial institutions, including four largest U.S. banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citibank, and Chase, <clears throat> along with Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Stanley, I think it was. Those six institutions <clears throat> pledged to cooperate to accelerate investment in renewable energy. That's pretty cool. Earlier this month, maybe you, it went below your radar, <clears throat> at least 10 House Republicans broke ranks in a mini-rebellion over climate change. You know, and we won't get into politics here. The, I know uh, 
I, anybody can be in this, in this audience, whether you're Republican or Democrat. If you've got a conscience, you know that something is going on. And it takes some courage to break ranks with the party saying, uh, can't go along with it anymore. <clears throat> um, the Huffington Post lead story last week was the week the climate conversation changed. And uh, just two days ago, or the uh, last or three or four days, TransCanada, maybe you uh, didn't know this, uh, the uh, Keystone Pipeline people, company, announced that it's withdrawing uh, lawsuits against landowners in Nebraska who opposed the Keystone project. And they're abandoning uh, their efforts uh, to invoke eminent domain through the courts and they'll reapply through the state commission. The landowners, the ones who are objecting, are pretty confident that the commission won't support it. All in the last couple of weeks. Can you feel perhaps there's a, a growing momentum, maybe a, a, a tipping point that we're all a part of? The current ECOSAT for training, as I said, uh, has 600 people taking the course online and, and 40 groups doing it together. Uh, so even uh, Buddhists are getting involved. Nice to see. <clears throat> so we perhaps are at a tipping point. And as I was thinking about all the different uh, movements in the last 50 or 60 years that at some point after much, much work fell. Whether it was the, the cigarette industry you know, now there used to be no, no smoking sections that you could go to if you didn't smoke, right? Now you can't smoke most everywhere. Spirit Rock, you can go to the smoking hut over there and, that's, and your car, that's about the one place. But you can't even smoke in bars anymore. Or the women's movement, and sure there's a whole lot more to do but things have changed dramatically in the last number of decades. Or the Berlin Wall coming down all of a sudden after so much, uh, so many years of, uh, of th that division happening. Or of course, same-sex marriage seemingly overnight after years and years of all the work and caring and suffering things can change very, very quickly. Domestic violence, it's not cool anymore. It's not okay. And now climate change, the week the conversation changed. So we're part of something quite extraordinary. As my, my friend Roger Walsh said, and I, I quote him a lot on this, we're in a race at this point in human history, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. I think we would all agree, being Dharma practitioners, that consciousness trumps fear. 
Whether we have enough time, who knows? However, sooner or later, human, the human species is going to wake up. Not just us and the ones who are out there on the front lines. The whole human species is going to wake up. It's got to, because that's what suffering does. Usually, it's when it's so bad, we say, oh, we've got to change. It's going to happen sooner or later, right? Wouldn't you agree? It makes sense to do what we can to make that on the sooner side rather than the later side. Because there's going to be suffering. There is now and there will be. There's no getting around it. We are, our hearts break each time we read about disasters that are climate, possibly climate sourced, or all the insanity of our addiction to oil. Uh, our hearts break with that. But on the sooner side, the suffering will be much different than if it's on the later side. So the way I see it, I was mentioning this to my uh, Thursday group in Berkeley, we're in this big action movie. You know, you, you've probably gone to lots of different action movies uh, where the fate of the world is depending on the hero or the heroine to save it, right? It's up to you and nobody knows, right? We are in the action movie and we are, one could say, the heroes or heroines in this movie. And we need as much help as we can get. But the more we come from love and from caring and from inspiration, the more we affect everyone around us. Because just like greed, hatred, and delusion is contagious, so is goodness. So is love. That's why the Buddha said, avoid the company of the foolish when you can and stay in the company of the wise because it rubs off. And so we can be part of this movement towards consciousness. The more our practice can be an expression of consciousness that affects everybody around us, the more it ripples out. And we do have a choice how we're going to meet this crisis, whether we meet it with our despair and our discouragement or whether we take it as uh, what Julia Butterfly Hill, who I, is an inspiration for me, calls a joyful responsibility. What a difference. A joyful responsibility. Of course, we need to feel the pain. You can't just bypass it and say, oh, everything is going to be okay. You need to honor how your heart breaks. But it hopefully breaks open so that all the caring and the goodness can be felt and ripple out and touch others. Because underneath whatever outrage or fear or despair or discouragement that we feel, underneath that is a deep caring and love. That's why we feel pain. And if we can get underneath that 
to that place of really caring and loving and feeling compassion, then we are hitting pay dirt. I was, Jane and I were just with, uh, with Ramdas recently, I was just sharing this with Tanisara, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And as, as many of you know, Ramdas is an inspiration to so many, changed my life. And his, he doesn't speak, he was just getting over some serious illness, so his words were even more um, uh, sparse than usual, but right there and very awake and very filled with love. And the transmission that I got, which I, I'm sharing with people, is the big journey is just going from here to here. Just try that for a few moments. Here, where there's fear and there's discouragement and there's despair and there's all the reasons why there's no point, now make that movement down to your heart where you love, where you care, where you can feel a connection to life. That's the journey. One more time. From here, I did it a few times and it's anchored in my body, right into your heart. That's where the wholesome is. Of course, we don't want to lose our wise discernment and our clarity. That's a given. But we don't want to get stuck in that contracted mind that says, oh, what's the point? Because we don't know. Look at how fast things have changed just in the news in the last couple of weeks, let alone five years ago, ten years ago. So it's a joyful responsibility. This is uh, from Thomas Merton, who says, um, an activist has to come to terms with the fact that what is done may ultimately be fruitless, but that you're not doing it solely for the hope of results. He says that as, as you get used to this idea to not be attached to the results, you start more and more to concentrate on the value, the rightness, the truth of what you do for itself. Just getting in touch with the rightness of it. And there's a Talmudic uh, story that similarly says, if the world were ending and you knew that nothing would make a difference, you'd still do what's most aligned with the heart's deepest values. So without having a conclusion about where things are going and how, uh, and, and how you know where this is going to end. You don't know. And this is where uh, Joanna Macy's concept of active hope is so, uh, so important. Active hope. I mean, she wrote a, a beautiful book, which we have in the bookstore, Active Hope. She's going to be giving the talk here tomorrow night with Deborah Chamberlain Taylor. Active Hope, which she says, and she wasn't big on the word hope for a long time. Hope, let's get real. But she's come around to writing a book on active hope. Active hope, identifying the outcomes we hope for and then playing our part in bringing them about. Focus on what we deeply long for and then proceed to take determined steps in that direction, becoming an active participant 
in bringing about what we hope for. That's where you get in touch with the joyful responsibility because you know that you're doing something that's aligned with your heart. Okay, now gladness of the wholesome, besides getting in touch with that caring, it's got to include a few other elements. And just in the few moments, few uh, minutes I have left, I want to share with you perhaps how you can bring um, a quality of gladness and inspiration to your engaged work so that it ripples out to others. First of all, compassion, not just for the earth or for all the people who are suffering, although that's obviously included, but also for the ignorance, the ignorance of those who can't connect the dots, even those who knowingly might be deceiving, who can't connect the dots and are especially those who are just so attached to their views that might be different than yours. The Buddha says attachment to views is the main cause of our suffering. Well, we get attached to our views all the time. Have you ever gotten in touch with that? Why don't they get it? You know, We're all walking around with our own views saying, if only people could see things the right way, then everything would be cool. Unfortunately, they're walking around in their own bubble too. Well, our attachment to the view of self, which is the source of all of our suffering, ever get attached to that? So when you say, why don't they get it? They're so attached to their views. Just realize that even though you might know better, your Awakening depends on you letting go of attachment to that view. Have a little compassion for the ignorance involved. Equanimity. Somehow getting in touch with a balance that doesn't get completely overwhelmed by the sadness. And I'm sure most of you know the figure of Kuan Yin, there's probably some statues in the back of her in her relaxed royal repose, feeling all the pain of the world, and yet there's a place, a spaciousness that can hold it all. This is our practice that makes space for it all, that gives up knowing what the conclusion is, and just says yes, and breathes, and does your part to make a difference. But somehow getting in touch with a balance that's not coming from fear, that's coming from a wider perspective, who knows? Sangha, holding hands, we do this together. And lead, listening to those groups, you could feel the enthusiasm. Find somebody to do it with. You don't have to be alone. As you don't be alone as you do this. When you hold hands, there's studies, physiological, psychological studies, lots of studies that show that physiologically and psychologically, your threshold for pain is much greater when you hold somebody's hands. 
and metaphorically and literally that's what is being called on as we do this multiplicity of courage um, uh, Nelson Mandela calls it that when people get together you uh, there's a synergy that deepens your courage and your commitment and your power and every time you do something that cares for the earth whether it's even if it's shutting off your lights and you say big deal what can that do or looking at what your insulation is in your house or getting together with others every time you do something instead of oh that's what I'm supposed to do do it as a metta practice do it as a metta practice for the earth and celebrate the fact that you really care because then that shutting off the light opens your heart a little bit more and brings out the light right inside of you let's have a new kind of light instead of ones that PG&E turns on feel the wholesomeness and the goodness of every little thing that you do because that is what is going to ripple out so uh, I'll just end uh, inviting you for a moment to just go inside and reflect on uh, and this might have been asked earlier just reflect on any action of caring that you've done in the last weeks or months whether it's reading the paper and letting your heart break or turning off the light or having uh, the intention if not the action of wanting to do something and just feel the wholesomeness of that <coughs> it's not something you have to manufacture it's right inside of you and give that wholesomeness the attention it deserves feel the gladness that arises knowing that you really care and see that caring heart as an agent of compassion that is both looking for and finding and activating the caring of all the other people in your life who you meet who likewise are looking to express their love for this planet and do what they can do and you might take that on as an ongoing part of your Dharma practice to feel how much you care and how you can be an agent of that to activate it in others
know. Thank you for your attention.